Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Have you ever wondered if deceased beings feel trauma after they've passed on? I mean, when someone's dying and they pass away, we always say something like, well, at least they're no longer in pain. But is that even true? I mean, do the dead grieve? Do they experience loss? Do they suffer emotionally or dwell on unfinished business? Kind of like a mafia boss? Well, in today's episode, we continue on with our Halloween series with my very special guest from the UK, United Kingdom, Paula Fenn. She's a psychoanalytic psychotherapist, and she's also a spirit release practitioner. She's going to be sharing her research on the traumatic experiences of the dead and whether or not they feel pain. I mean, she's had plenty of experience talking to these ghosts on the couch, as she calls them. Well, stay tuned. It should be a spooky episode that you won't want to miss. And welcome to the show, Paula Fenn. Oh, thank you so much. Lovely to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this topic because I love everything paranormal. I write about the paranormal, I study, and now I've even started to do a little bit of therapy with people in that arena. So tell us about yourself. You're a psychoanalytic psychotherapist. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, that's one of my roles. I'm a psychoanalytic psychotherapist. I'm in private practice in the Bath area of the UK, but I'm also a regression therapist and also a spirit release practitioner. So a bit of a mixture of uh, methodologies. So tell us how you got into that whole area of work. Yeah. Um, Well, Originally, my background is very business orientated. And and I say that because, you know, with my patients, uh, a lot of work is about integration, you know, integration of parts. So for a while, I kind of left that part of me behind, almost like it was a past life, you know, to talk about being a chartered accountant, working for Chevron and, and such like. But it's a part of me, you know, that there's this analytical aspect that follows through into my current work. So in terms of the the psychotherapy aspect, in 2005, I was drawn to a little article in a magazine and it was an advert for a training and it said 10 week training are you interested in discovering ways to alleviate suffering? 
And it was just something about that, do you know, that was really intriguing. What, what, what does this mean? What, how could you help reduce suffering? And, and so, you know, I went to that 10-week training and left four years later <laughs> you know, wow. as, as a psychotherapist. Um, and, you know, I think that all of us, we reach those phases in our life where there's like voids, you know, we discover what we don't know. Yeah. You know, yes. You totally. Yeah. You know, you reach a sort of plateau or a pinnacle of knowing one thing and you discover what you don't know. And so this is my progression into regression therapy from being a psychotherapist, because one day in 2012 it was about one week I should say two different patients in the same week had spontaneous past life regressions so they're in traditional psychotherapy with me and all of a sudden they're wearing different shoes they're wearing different clothes they're seeing different you know landscapes and I tried to kind of navigate that as a psychotherapist as best as I could um but I said I really did not think of it in that traditional mindset that this was a hallucination you know so again I was curious what what was going on there really and of course ethically I felt well I better go do some training in this because I, I want to know what to do about this and know more. So then I started training as a past life therapist um, and did one set of training in past life therapy. And then the year after did full regression therapy training with the Past Life Regression Academy in the UK. So now I'm practicing regression therapy in combination with psychotherapy. And one of the things that led me then into spirit release on that sort of continuum, you know, the void appears, you need to know more, is at the regression academy, um, part of the training was in spirit release. So there was a whole module on working with earthbound spirits. And the reason they did that is because of all the data, and there's a lot of other practitioners that write about this, is that often when you're taking someone into a past life, the past life might not be their past life. The past life could belong to an energy that's attached to them. So, you know, a, an autonomous consciousness, a, a consciousness of another entity, another being. So sometimes people could be taken into past lives and you discover that that past life does not belong to the client. It belongs to someone else. So that, that was a big thing, learning about that phenomenon but in addition, when I was training, of course, you know, you do a lot of peer work, yeah? So I'll be regressing my colleagues in training and they'll regress me and we'll help each other 
work through past lives. But a kind of really strange thing, but a really significant thing happened. When I was induced into altered state, you know, to take me into past life, um, the room sometimes would be filled with spirits. Wow. And yeah and and so there's my colleague you know doing the doing the best job they can saying and what are you wearing and go to the next scene and what happens next and i'm saying no i'm i'm not in a past life but there's five people standing at the bottom of the bed trying to talk to me <laughs> you know so i kind of um beyond being trained in it what i discovered was there was an aptitude there, you know, there was an ability to really converse with the dead, which might sound a bit strange, <laughs> but um, it was part of that, that journey that I had to discover that what I needed was to dr drop down, I'll, I call it drop down, into that altered state you know, out of the ordinary reality. And when I'm in that state, I'm able to communicate with the dead. It's fascinating. I love it. <laughs> I have had similar experiences as well. Um, I, I remember there was one particular individual I started dating. His father was a very famous photographer. His mother is a, a famous model from the 1960s, very iconic. And I remember when I first met him, I saw a shadow around him and I met him at a bar and I'm like, I don't know if it's my eyes. I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't know if it's different. Something's going on in the bar. I don't know what, but I saw this entity kind of like a shadow right. around him. And, um, which was really interesting. And he ended up telling me who his father was, stories about his father and his mother. And I went home and I looked him up and I go, I swear to God, this is the man that I saw. And the right. father had just passed away within the year. So it was very recent. And, um, you know, we had uh, started dating and, and we went out again. And I go, you know, this is a very strange question. Because he would talk about the, his father all the time and how he was getting his... Um, uh, his artwork and all his fo uh, photographs together for, and curating them for a museum exhibit. So I go, this is a very odd question I'm going to ask you, but I, I just have to ask you. Uh, because sometimes when I do this, it's just my brain just, I, it's, it, I start getting invaded and yeah. I go, I just need to ask you. Um, I don't do it very often, but just in certain situations. And I said, um, do you dream about your father? you know, and he said, yes. And I go, do you have arguments with him in your dreams? And he said, yes. And, so mm. <laughs> yeah. and I said, well, um, you know, he's telling you what to do to curate his own photographs. And I go, and you need to listen to him. And he goes, well, what you need to do, tell him is. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah, so you're having a conversation. Uh -huh. It was hilarious. And so he started to tell me what the argument was about. And it was about uh, this whole museum exhibit. And his father wanted it one way and the son wanted it another. And this is uh -huh. what his dreams were about, which right. was 
very interesting. So another time um, he took me outside of this restaurant and he said, uh, this is the last place where we had my father's birthday party. And I guess he was in his eighties when he passed away. Um, and, and he goes, do you see anything? And so I said, well, I see your father doing this. And it looks like he has ash in his hand. Like he's, he has this weird smile, mm -hmm. like he's not very happy, but he's doing this. Like, and, and what I mean by doing this for people listening is it's like he had um, sand or ash in his hands and he was dropping it, you know, through his hands, like it was slowly falling. And um, so he then tells me, he's like, Yes, because he was cremated and he wanted to be buried, but I didn't have enough money and I was on a budget. So <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting. There's so much data out there yeah. that's available, but it just requires a different way of accessing it, you know, right. out of the ordinary state of consciousness. Right, right. So it doesn't happen to me all the time, but just certain situations and usually with people who I'm dating, uh, men who I'm dating, uh, where it's either something's not going right in their lives. So uh, I'm kind of like the psychic girlfriend in a way, um, okay. which can be very freaky for people. But yeah. yes, but I want to hear more about your research uh, and on the traumatic experiences of the dead. Okay, well... What you're referring to, I believe, is there was a, an academia piece that I put up recently, which was called Traumatic Experiences of the Dead. And what that one-page document is, is an abstract submission. You know, so I sent that to University of York. They were doing a conference that was quite a fascinating conference called interdisciplinary approaches to corpse work so wow yeah I love that you know talking <laughs> about the dead and dead bodies and things around that so of course I thought well you know I'll go tell them about how when the body's dead the soul lives on and such like you know um unfortunately I, I didn't get a place on that conference but I did get an apology that essentially they were so busy they had so many abstracts that uh, there just wasn't space for everyone so that article that you're talking about um yeah it's the one of the things i'm working on right now well it got it, you a spot on my podcast so there yeah, well thank you you know that's brilliant and you know when you do these abstracts and submissions and presentation decks you know they're all really meaningful because they're going to be something else you know right they're, they're going to be an article or part of a book and that's what this is so to be more direct in answering your question since 2013, um, I've worked on more than 100 cases uh, involving spirits of the deceased. And I always take, you know, very comprehensive case notes and such like. And I've done a bit of a database analysis. And what I'm trying to do right now is bring it all together, you know, analyze the data, uh, 
look at associations in the data correlations, you know, create something meaningful and essentially write a book. So that's the kind of research because in the materialistic world of science, it's not going to cut mustard, you know. Right. Unless uh, you have the research. As, as a re- in itself, it's not going to meet scientific standards because this is a very intriguing field. You know, you have to prove that consciousness exists beyond death, don't you? Right. As That's- a start point. And then you have to prove that you, you can communicate with the dead. And you need all other sorts of evidence. Like, how could you prove you're just not making it up? Or, you know, it's not just... Exactly. Yeah. So it's a research, but it's a research for a a book because I think it's really important that there's, there's more information out there on this topic because the spirits that I've encountered, a lot of them are really suffering. And as a psychotherapist, my job, like that little article in the newspaper, is to alleviate suffering, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's just so funny how things work out, you know? Um, But yeah, to reduce suffering. And they're deceased human beings. You know, they're just people like me and you that for various reasons have not transitioned into the afterlife, but they're still human. And so where do you find these spirits? Are they just piggybacking onto your clients? I mean, how did you first come to studying the traumatic experiences and how did you know that they were having trauma or in pain? Because usually like I had written you in the email, when a person dies in the hospital or if they've had a traumatic death, people will always say, well, at least they're no longer suffering. Yeah. But what you're saying is they are suffering still. Well, the best way to answer that question uh, before we kind of go back into talking about the traumatic experiences of the dead is to, to talk about the fact that, you know, I, I don't know the quantity, but let's just say when most people die, they go to the light. They go to the afterlife they they don't hang around on the earth plane. Now, when I say most people, I don't really know how many go and how many don't know, don't go. Um, but those that go, those that die, when they die and they go to the afterlife, they don't feel pain. You know, any listeners that's a bereaved person can know that they are no longer suffering. You know, the the cancer that killed them is gone. The road traffic accident injury is gone. They're completely well. They're in good health. They're in good spirits. They're happy. They, They meet other souls. They reconnect. They learn. They teach. They, you know, it's a good life in the afterlife. There's no suffering. There's no pain. And even with earthbound spirits, so souls that at the point of death did not transition to the afterlife, okay, but they stayed here, 
even they no longer have physical pain. So I've encountered so many spirits. Uh, maybe they've got a sword through their belly or a hangman's noose around their neck or they, they've got a damaged leg from being run over, but they don't feel pain. They do not feel the physical pain associated with the mode of death. But what they do feel, what they do experience, and therefore what is traumatic for them are the psycho-emotional problems. You know, they can still think, they've still got consciousness. They can still be conscious of, they know they're trapped, mostly. You know, sometimes you have to uh, reaffirm to a spirit that actually you're dead, you know, because they, there is a part of them sometimes that doesn't realize that they're actually dead. But once you get past that denial hurdle and they understand they're dead, um, you're able to talk to them about why are they here? What happened to them? Um, how did they die? And, and so on. You know, and, and very psychotherapeutically help them work through their traumas. That's fascinating. So can you share some stories and uh, how you started seeing this? Like, was it uh, regular patients that you had or? Yeah. Um, well, as I said before, you know, I started really seeing them and working with them in my training. You know, when I was in altered state, I would see dead people. Um, and then from that point, once you start to see, you can't not see anymore. You know, that's it's so like, true. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like there's a part of you that's been there, that's now opened up, um, and you're able to resonate with that frequency because that's what it is. You know, it's a it's a way of um, being in resonance with the the vibration at that level of consciousness. Um, so how do these spirits present to me? Sometimes it's on location, you know, so even if I'm on a holiday or a weekend trip, inevitably there's going to be a spirit that comes by and, you know, needs help and talks to me and, and such like. Um, and some psychotherapy patients present and, you know, I'll be able to, be aware that there's a spirit with them but in psychotherapy I work very traditionally you know I do bring in energy techniques and I do bring in regression techniques but a psychotherapy patient is a psychotherapy patient and I'm not really going to sit and talk to them about oh you've got your aunt <laughs> Mabel with you you know but I will help that spirit but the client that's the psychotherapy client doesn't need to know about it. Yeah. Um, so they present that way. And also a lot of people come to me for regression therapy and healing and spirit release. So very much the ghost is on the couch, you know, the ghost becomes the client. The host is the patient sitting on the couch, but also 
the spirit that's with them, I also see them as a client. Like the host has brought them for healing. I see. So why do these spirits attach to certain hosts? I mean, I can tell you a, a personal story that happened to me one day, and I, I'm not sure if I, I shared it on Dr. Palmer on the episode I did with Dr. Palmer last year, but uh, one day I had looked in the mirror and I felt like I looked like my grandmother who had died many years ago, uh, and she did have a traumatic death. She died by suicide, so she jumped, uh, and on her second attempt, she was successful off a building, so she jumped off oh. a building and passed. And so I, I would look and I was like, that's very odd. Um, and so I had gone to a healer and I had gone to a shaman and the shaman did tell me, yes, you, I, I didn't ask the shaman anything. I just had them tell me. And so they, they did say, you have this attachment. This is what you need to do. And so apparently she was attaching herself to different family members who okay. I actually had known about. And, and when these attachments had happened, they did have a psychotic event okay. uh, that happened to both of them. Yeah. Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. uh, but with me, I would just look at it and I'd be like, am I going crazy? Right. Uh, with something's going on. So, yeah. and, and I did um, release her and, and okay. she did go about that's, her way. So. That's good because yeah. I would imagine she was in a lot of suffering. You know, yeah, for many, many years. Yeah, so to be released is, is uh, of benefit to her. But there's always a reason why they attach to a particular individual. There's always a reason because there's always something in resonance. So if you think about it a little bit technically, you know, we, we are energy beings. We, we are consciousness and it's an autonomous consciousness. So Paula has her own autonomous consciousness as does Ercilia, etc. And it's the same with this, the spirits of the deceased. It is still a living consciousness. And that consciousness can fuse in the energy body with the living host. Reasons why particular spirits fuse with particular living people uh, can be as simple as they seem like a good person. You know, they're nice. <laughs> You know, they're, oh, they seem so kind. They've got a really nice heart energy about them. Um, she'll, she'll be good, you know, so therapists and so on. I've had so many therapists uh, that have picked up earthbound spirits. And in those cases, often the spirit says, I was so alone. I felt so abandoned and she was a good person. So that's one simple reason. Um, another reason is that there's an attribute in the living person that resonates with an attribute in the deceased spirit. So things like addictive behaviors and so on, you know, drugs, alcohol, certain proclivities. So one really interesting case about resonance is... Um, I had a, a male present to me for spirit release therapy because he had a kind of sense that something a bit strange was going on. 
um, and he had a porn addiction and he owned it as I, I have a porn addiction. It's my porn addiction. I've always liked porn. Um, a highly sexed man, um, but something just doesn't feel right. I've got all these marital difficulties. The porn's really getting in the way of my marriage to my wife. And unfortunately, his wife had an abuse background. So him reaching out for porn was, you know, quite traumatic for her because it had the sexual abusive component as how she experienced it. Anyway, so, to, you know, take him into altered state and I'm doing the work. And then this, this man, this Irish man arrives and he was called Ewan. So I, I'm chatting to Ewan because, you know, it's just like an everyday conversation for me. You know, why are you there? How long have you been there? And so on. So he says, I've been with him for 30 years. Wow. Yeah, 30 years. And he said the resonance was the porn. That he, he was also highly sexed when he was alive. He was very abusive to women. Wow. Very, very abusive to women. And at the root of his abuse to women was a childhood background where his mother, you know, the deceased spirit's mother was very, very domineering, you know, a very overpowering woman. And in a psychotherapeutic term, reaction formation as a defense mechanism, he became domineering. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and abusive to women as a consequence of the domineering mother. So he attached to this man 30 years prior. And the thing about the spirit still having consciousness is very relevant here because Ewan said to me, he watched this client of mine. He watched him for weeks before he decided he was the right one. Wow he would be good for me because we're the same. And then he, he jumped and essentially I don't like the word so much possession, but you know, he became attached. Uh, he possessed this, this client. And so when you say possesses, it's more like their energy body, correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, what is really detrimental about possession or fusion of these two fields of consciousness is that everything that's in the field of consciousness of the earthbound spirit will merge with the client, you know, with the host. So they take on various aspects of that deceased spirit. So, they could they could have uh, somatic pain uh, as a consequence of the injury that killed the earthbound spirit. They can have emotional pain. They can play out life. So the host is affected on all levels of human experience. So mind, 
body, emotion, everything is impacted on by what what's inside the earthbound spirit. That is fascinating. So why didn't this individual move on when he passed away? Like, why did he just stay earthbound? Yeah. Um, in that particular case, he remained earthbound because at the point of death, he felt too ashamed. He had fear of punishment. So he stayed. So like he was afraid he was going to go to hell or something. Yeah. Interesting. He didn't use that language, but he, he was aware he'd been a bad guy. You know, he'd been incredibly abusive, you know, battered wives, lots of bad sexual encounters with women. Um, and, and he didn't want to face himself in the afterlife. So that's the reason he stayed. So there's lots of reasons why they do stay, which maybe we could talk about as well. Yeah, that would be an interesting point. That was going to be my next question okay. <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. just preempting that. Um, well, there's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of reasons why they stay. Um, often a, a really big reason is traumatic and sudden death. That's one of the primary reasons that there's been no preparation for death. They don't know it's coming. It's out of nowhere. Boom, you're dead. So it's shocking. They, they've not prepared. They, they've not accepted it. And they're in a state of confusion. Now, a big part of my work as a psychotherapist is, is working with trauma and dissociative identity disorder. And when I think about the, the sort of etiology of trauma, what becomes traumatic is that things get dissociated, yeah? Yes, you know? and I've seen that a lot. I was talking to you a little yeah. bit before the podcast, and because I've worked with children for over 20 years, I see those child traumas. Yeah. And they could be as very, very subtle. They could be just due to bullying. They could be due to um, a, a rape or other types of abuses as well. Uh -huh. and, and I've seen that. And it, the way it comes out is this individual starts to act like that age, like either a 14-year-old or a two-year-old, and they start being very inappropriate with me. Like I've had friends do it, and I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. But it's, it's that child self, what, it, what I've done through studying and through figuring what this is and why am I seeing it is because they're trying to get me to help them, uh -huh. you know, in a way, which yeah. sometimes I, I can't, you know, there, there's no way. Uh, it, it takes an open individual to want to do that and, and to do it appropriately mm -hmm. uh, and stuff. But it, it is a lot of work, you yeah. know, and, and that side of them has to want to leave or just kind of integrate yeah. and, and let the adult part take uh -huh. over. You know, so dissociative identity disorder in itself is a consequence of trauma. Yeah. But if we look at dissociation as a defense mechanism, it's because of overwhelm. 
Yeah. Yes. And that's but, when I see them. Yeah. Yes. The the psyche cannot contain, cannot metabolize, cannot process the the event. Um and so if you think about out of nowhere death arrives, you know, that's traumatic, isn't it? Yeah, but, definitely. But, Especially but, if you're not ready to go yet. Well, you're like, yeah. wait a minute. <clears throat> You're not ready I, to go. And, and so therefore, there's been no processing. It's not being metabolized. Yeah. And so that's one reason why they stay. And it's actually a particular area of interest for me because it brings together, you know, the world of trauma, psychotherapy and trauma of the dead. Um, I'll share with you a little bit of a case. Um, worked with a lady recently and you know I'll cut a long story short because these sessions could be like three four hours long oh, yeah I can imagine yes you know so we're in regression and what we discover is that in a past life she was she was burnt to death at the stake yeah so she's bound hands behind her back uh rope around her neck tied to a, a wooden stake in the ground and they set fire to her uh, because they said she's a witch. Now she wasn't a witch and so that's traumatic. <laughs> um, and this is a regression therapy session. Um, but what I discovered in that session is when I said to her, you know, to go to the point just before your death, which is a kind of standard thing that we ask in regression. And she says, oh, I'm outside my body. I'm not dead yet, but I'm, I'm still dying, right? But I'm outside my body watching myself die. And I thought, isn't that interesting if we parallel that with one of the reasons why earthbound spirits become earthbound spirits, that the trauma is so much, they jump out of their bodies. Yeah, they dissociate from the physical body. So Before I think- death process actually yeah. takes place. And yeah. so, you know, you think about someone's been in a car accident, it's overwhelming. They jump out of their body. They, they dissociate. They have out-of-body experience. And then the body dies. So they can't go back into that body to die. That is that is very fascinating. Yeah. So exactly. Exactly. So I think I've not read anyone else talking about this, but it's something that I think with my experience as a, a trauma therapist in combination with spirit release is coming up in my research of my cases as really meaningful. So that's one of the reasons sudden traumatic death. Um, another really big and rich area of understanding is unfinished business. Yes. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that's, massive and there's so much content in that so unfinished business could be something like resentment bitterness resentment I, I, I encountered one spirit and he was causing a lot of trouble I mean he was more like bringing on poltergeist activity 
in, in a house, you know, making noises, moving objects, all kinds of things. Like he was angry. And when I spoke to him, he said, I said, well, why didn't you go to the light at the point of death? And he said, because, and he was, he was from Scotland and he had a very, <laughs> I mean, I, I know I've got a strong accent, but his was really strong and broad because that's the other thing. They maintain the same characteristics, you know, they talk the same, they walk the same, they use the same language and so on. So he said, no way that was it. No, <laughs> no way that was my life over. Wow. You know, so that kind of bitterness about, no, I didn't have a good life. It can't be my life's finished. So that, that resentment can be there. Um, another case, um, actually, this was a, a sort of 19th century. So he'd been around since the late 1800s. And he was a funeral director. And he died, and I can't remember, but it, it was a sudden death. And when he died, he stayed because he was engaged to be married. And he said to me, there was no way I was going to the light because my fiance would marry my friend. Oh. <laughs> do, do you know, obviously it's a sort of a strange belief, but do you know, that they think they're staying and they're going to be able to fix something. Um, but that was why he stayed, that, you know, he'd lose his fiancée because the friend would marry the fiancée, but then he's here and he's trapped and it's traumatic. Um, another thing, yes, yeah, suicides. You know, suicides can be uh, really difficult and they get really lost, you know, after they've killed themselves. Um, so... Another reason, let me think. Oh, big one, staying with family members. I've got so many cases where the spirits, even at their own funeral, have jumped into a son or another family member. Wow. Um, one male, no, one mother jumped into her son at her wake you know like an event celebrating her death one mother jumped into her son at her own funeral um another one staying with family members this this was a, a really strange one um female therapist presented and she was you know, by all accounts, she'd been an amazing therapist, you know, a healer. And she just couldn't work anymore. She, she was having all these issues. Um, so she had an open mind as an energy healer. And she came to me for spirit release therapy. So the most dominant spirit, because you always ask for the most dominant spirit to come forward first, because that helps with the clearing. Um, the most dominant one was a, a man who'd been run over out of the blue, you know, killed instantly, um, walking across the road. 
and she worked nearby. Now, this male spirit, the reason why he stayed earthbound was he, he wanted to say goodbye to his daughter. So there's your unfinished business scenario again, yeah? Something's not occurred that they feel they can't move on because they've not completed something. So this man didn't move to the light because he wanted to say goodbye to his daughter. So then he's here trapped. This therapist patient of mine's on a lunch break. He sees her, oh, she's a nice person. She seems nice and kind and compassionate. <laughs> and this male spirit jumps into her. So that was the first spirit. She actually had three spirit attachments. The second one was a family member. The second one was actually her grandfather. Now, this lady was, if I remember, maybe 40 years old, you know, something like that. And talking with the grandfather, the grandfather had attached to this woman when she was a baby. Wow. She was only eight months old and she was in her crib sleeping. And it had always been a family anecdote. Like once I told her that, she was just amazed because she says, you know what? It's always been a family anecdote that the, at the exact time of my grandfather's death, I was eight months old, I was in my crib, and I started to scream. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's the little bits of evidence that you get, you know, as in a lot of people would say this works non-scientific. Um, of course, you know, the rational scientists would say that, but you do get those little pieces of evidence, Do you know, like, how could you possibly know that there's this family story passed down for 40 years that exactly. this little baby screamed at eight months old, but the minute her granddad died, but that's the minute that he's telling us that he jumped into her to stay with the family. Wow. So fascinating. <laughs> well, this has been a very fun, very interesting podcast. Where can people find you? Because do you also do remote work as well? Can you tell us um, about your website? All your information will be on our show notes at the end of the podcast. Okay. Um, I do work remotely on occasion, but I actually do prefer to work face-to-face. -face. And I think that's the psychotherapist in me, you know, that I like to have that relationship that, you know, the client's right there in front of me. So I don't do a lot of remote work. Um, I don't have my website up and running at the moment, but people can Google me, Paula Finn, and I'm on a lot of other websites. Yeah, so, you know, I've got, there's a few pages that come up if you put my name, Paula Finn. If anyone wants to contact me directly, they can email me at transitionalspace at outlook.com which i imagine will be on the page for the podcast yeah. yes and yeah. all that information will be on the show notes thank you so much paula and 
Thanks. And thank you, nurses and hypochondriacs, for listening. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses and Hypocon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. 